Hey, uh, we are in the middle of a series uh, that's called The Man Who Had Everything. And chances are uh, you've run into uh, one of these people. You just go, it is amazing uh, everything that they've got at their disposal. I mean, they, they just have finances coming out of nowhere. They're, they're talented like uh, nobody's business. They're amazing looking. Uh, they just have incredible minds. You just go, where was I <laughs> when they were handing that out? Because apparently I was at the very end of the line. Uh, when that was happening. And, and if, if you were to uh, take uh, people who have everything and uh, roll that into Scripture, uh, you, you'd find a guy by the name of Samson. And if you were here last week, you know, we talked about this and said, this is a guy that by all rights, whose life ought to turn out to just be remarkable beyond anybody's wildest dreams. I mean, before he's even born, uh, God announces his birth. His mother uh, is infertile, and yet uh, God miraculously causes him uh, to be born. He is given by God just unbelievable supernatural strength. Apparently, he's an amazing-looking uh, guy because women follow this guy uh, in droves. And, and by all rights, as you begin the story of the life of Samson, you say, this is the guy who has everything. There, there is no reason for his life not to just skyrocket. Uh, what he accomplished, what he does, ought to be just off the charts because he's given such a huge head start of, of beyond all of the rest of us. But here's the reality of Samson's life. It ends in utter disappointment. He is so much less than what he could have been, what he should have been, and what obviously God hoped that he would be. Uh, when, when you get to the end of Samson's life, there, there's nothing there but sadness. And, and you are left to ask yourself and say, how can a guy who had everything, how can a guy with so much potential, so, so much opportunity in his life, the, the very touch of God upon it, how can his life end up so little and miserable? And small. And uh, as we unpacked this together last week, we said, you know, the problem with Samson is what uh, you and I are going to call over the next uh, few weeks uh, Samson syndrome. And, and we said the, the very first characteristic of Samson syndrome is uh, this idea that all of my giftedness is mine and it's for me and for my benefit. And what we found uh, that happened over and over and over again in the life uh, of Samson is that whenever there was a problem, whenever there was an issue, whenever there, there was something that needed to be navigated to the other side, when there was uh, something that required circumstances, required resolution, Samson intuitively leans into his own capacities. So he would have said, no, 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 no. I can, I'm strong enough to handle this. I'm good looking enough to get past this. I, I'm, I'm smart enough in my brain uh, to figure this out. And constantly, constantly, Samson leans into his own abilities rather than leaning into God. And we said, guys, this is a big deal because you and I have done the same thing. You and I have experienced a little bit of Samson syndrome in our own lives. And, and we've had moments in which we said, wow, you know what? I made that decision about that house. I, I decided about that person and where we were going to live and if I was going to buy that car or not. And I'm not sure I ever even prayed. I'm not even sure I ever even consulted God because I said, no, no, I can afford the payment or this makes sense. And it all adds up on a spreadsheet somewhere. And you and I intuitively have Samson syndrome. We have this ability to lean into our own understanding, our own ability, our own capacity to figure it out. And never once pause and say, God, I, I think I know the answer. 
I, I, think, I think I understand this, but before I do it, before I decide this, I'm going to choose to lean into you and to simply say, God, what is it that you want to do and how do you want this to turn out and what, what should I do in this moment that may be something I wouldn't have even considered. Today we're going to uh, go and unpack the second trait uh, of Samson syndrome, and what we're going to discover today uh, is, is the issue of pride. And over the next few weeks, Samson's pride is going to show up over and over and over again, and consistently, because he is such a proud and arrogant man, he is going to make catastrophic mistakes within his life because he's just proud. Today, uh, Samson's going to ignore advice. Uh, he's going to have a moment in his life when someone's going to speak in. It's going to be the moment when he desperately needs to listen. It's exactly what he needs to hear. And he's going to go, no, hey, uh, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, mind your own business. Uh, stay out of it. I, I've got this uh, for myself. And we're going to discover that a part of Samson syndrome, a part of this lifestyle of pride that leads you and I to live at such lower capacity than what God dreamed or hoped for us is this refusal to allow others to speak into our lives. Now, guys, this, this hits a little bit home for us because I can promise you in this room that, that if I asked you and said, there's been a moment, right? Uh, there's been a moment uh, when someone tried to warn you. Uh, someone tried to say, hey, whoa, 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 you go there. That, that, that's, that's probably going to take you where you don't want to go. Uh, if you do that, uh, there's some pretty obvious fallout from that. And in that moment, you and I said to that person who was trying to speak into us, look, just, just butt out. Just leave me alone. Look, I, it's never going to turn out that way. It's never going to be that bad. Leave me alone. And the irony of the moment was that exactly what they predicted, exactly what they told us was ahead, is exactly what happened in our lives. And isn't it true that all of us have a little bit of Samson syndrome in us. A little part that just says, don't tell me, I don't wanna hear. And you and I are gonna watch today and see how this takes Samson's life and literally drives him to failure. So grab your Bibles this morning and go with me to the book of Judges. If you're not real familiar, if you go to all the way to the front of your Bible and then start working to the right, uh, you're gonna find this book of Judges. Uh, Judges chapter uh, 14. Now, here's why this is so critical for us. Because every one of us in our life has got to decide what to do with godly wisdom and godly counsel. And I'm just going to say this out loud. Guys, this is especially hard for us. Because there is something in our maleness that takes our self-esteem out of the idea that we figured it out ourselves. That somehow our competence is measured by the fact that we weren't weak enough or that we weren't uh, unknowledgeable enough that we had to ask anybody else for directions. This is why we never pull over in the car. We, we take more satisfaction even though we arrived at the destination 40 minutes late because we can go, I, I figured it out. She thought we were lost. I figured it out. Now, guys, here's the deal. That may work okay for you in driving. It will be absolutely disastrous in the rest of your life. 
Think about this for a minute. Think about if you were in the amazing race and, and you flew into an airport and they gave you the next clue and it was a destination across town and you had no earthly idea where it was. What are the chances you would say, hey, I don't care that all the other teams are running on ahead. I don't care. I am not going to ask for directions. Now, see, the truth is, uh, if you were in the amazing race, you would run to the first person you could find and you would say, do you know where this is and what's the fastest way to get there? What's the difference? Urgency. Urgency. And here's what I'm going to suggest, guys. There's an urgency. And that if you live your life figuring out everything yourself, it may be deeply self-satisfying, but you will live a Samson-like life. You will never get where God wanted you to be. You will never reach your capacity, and you will finish in disappointment if you never ask directions. Matter of fact, uh, here's the moment. Grab your Bibles. It's Judges chapter uh, 14. This is the moment uh, in Samson's life. If you were here last week, you've already heard a little bit about this moment. Uh, Samson has gone out. He saw a Philistine girl, uh, and he was immediately attracted to her. He spent all of about four minutes uh, talking to her. Uh, so purely, it was her intellect that attracted him. <clears throat> uh, to her, and uh, he immediately goes back to his parents, and he says, "That's the woman uh, for me." And if you were here last week, you know this ends badly. Uh, he's violating scripture. He, he's doing what he shouldn't do. It was very clear in the Word of God that the people of God were not to marry outside of the people of God. Same thing that happens for you and me when Scripture says that you and I, as believers, should not be unequally yoked together with people who don't know our Jesus. So same principle is happening here. And Samson's about to blow by it. Uh, it will end up with, you ready for this? It will end up with 30 men murdered, and the woman that he thinks he has to have will end up being married to, the, to his best man. I mean, this is, this is disastrous in Samson's life. And, and you almost want to say, well... Wasn't there anybody who could have said something to this guy? Wasn't there anybody who could have warned him and said, Samson, this isn't hard. I mean, this is just so obviously a bad decision in your life. It's a mistake. You're violating God's word. Pause a minute. Reflect a minute. Think a minute before you do this. Couldn't someone have said something to Samson? And here's the answer. Someone did. Someone did. And in that moment... Samson blew them off. Samson said, mind your own business, stay out of it, I'll handle this myself. Here it is, it's Judges chapter 14, starting in verse 1, and here's what it says. Samson went down to Timnah, and he saw there a young Philistine woman, and when he returned, he said to his father and his mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah, now get her for me as a wife. His father and mother replied, isn't there any acceptable woman among your relatives or among all of our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? Samson, wait, wait, you're getting ready to blow through a whole bunch of what God has said to do. You're getting ready to ignore, isn't there any? And here's Samson's reply. But Samson said to his father, get her for me. 
She's the right one for me. Sound familiar at all? His parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. Now, don't let that last sentence confuse you. Don't go, oh, well, wait a minute. I mean, you know, maybe God wanted, you know, Samson to do the wrong thing. Look, 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 look. Not a chance. Not a chance. Because, you ready? It is never right to do something wrong even if you're attempting to do something good. Let me just say that again. It is never right to do something wrong, even if you're attempting to do something right. Okay? And it is so obvious in Scripture that Samson has no business uh, with this woman. All that's happening here is God is simply saying, in the midst of Samson's stubbornness, in the midst of his absolute disobedience, God was still going to redeem the moment. Okay? So let me see if this helps a little bit. Imagine that you have a child, and, and that child starts to live their life recklessly and starts doing things that are actually illegal, and now they end up in court. And, and in the midst of being in court, you start to realize there could be some serious jail time here. And so you begin to pray to God, and you go, God, whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute. Please don't send my child to jail. Because here's what I'm thinking. There is no way there's going to be good influences for my child in jail, that's going to distance them from my influence because I won't be able to see them and be around them as often. God, please, please don't send my child to jail. And that God in that moment would answer your prayer with, no, I'm sending your child to jail. Because here's what you don't know. I'm going to use jail to break your child, to bring your child to their knees and to a place of repentance. See, there's no way God wanted your child to do criminal activity. But there is a possibility that in the midst of that, God says, okay, then I'll send you to jail and break your spirit. Okay? So in this moment, here's the moment, Samson has the opportunity. His parents say, wait, 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 before you go there, before you do that, isn't there any other possibility? Why wouldn't you just do what God has asked? Isn't there anybody in Israel in which you could obey? And Samson answers, no. No. But out. It's interesting because the wisest man uh, who ever walked the face of the earth, a guy by the name of Solomon, actually describes three different types of people who refuse to hear wise counsel, who refuse to allow other people to speak into their lives. And so we're just going to spend the next few moments uh, just processing that together and just simply looking at those three different types of people. And here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you, as we describe these three different types of people, is there any part of them that is part of you? Is there anything about how they behave and what they do when people try to speak good, wisely counsel into their lives that looks like you when people try to speak into your life? And if so, what would you do? So here we go. Uh, the first group of people that uh, Solomon describes uh, um, Solomon calls them the naive. Uh, these are people 
who lack life experience. In other words, they haven't experienced enough, they haven't done enough to recognize when somebody is actually giving them wise counsel because they they just don't have enough of life under their belt uh, to, to have a good reference point. Matter of fact, here's how you know if maybe you are sitting today in the seat of the naive because here's how the naive respond when people try to advise and give counsel to them. And their answer is simply this, oh, you're overreacting. You're just like overprotective. You're just like thinking worst case scenario all the time. And here's the deal, it's not going to happen to me. I, it's, it's, it's never going to turn out that way. Look, 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 it's only one date. No, 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 no. Just because I'm hanging out with my friends and because all my friends are doing it, that doesn't mean I'm going to do it. And the reality of the naive is they simply lack enough life experience to realize what good advice sounds like when good advice is given. Because, 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 by the time they get to 15, they're smarter than the rest of us. They're naive. Matter of fact, Solomon describes uh, this type of person. Grab your Bibles. Go with me to the book of Proverbs. If you're not familiar, uh, if you go right to the middle of your Bible, chances are you're going to find the book of Psalms. Go a little bit to the right. You'll find this book of Proverbs. It's Proverbs chapter 7. In Proverbs chapter 7, Solomon, the wisest man to ever walk the face of the earth, is describing this first chair. He's describing observing a naive young man. And and here's what he's doing. Uh, He is heading down to the red light district. And uh, what he tells himself is, no, 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 no. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to go watch I'm, I'm just going to go see what the other guys are doing down there. But I, it, there's, there's no danger for me. I'm just going to be an observer. Here it is. It's uh, Proverbs chapter 7, starting in verse 6. This is Solomon talking. Here's what he says. At the window of my house, I looked through the lattice. I saw among the simple, the naive. A person lacking enough life experience to realize the danger they were getting themselves into. I noticed among the young men a youth who lacked judgment. He he just simply didn't know. He was going down the street, ready, near her corner. He he was just going to look. He was just going to, you know, kind of observe. He was going near. He wasn't going to do anything walking along in the direction of her house. Now Solomon goes on to describe what happens next uh, in this uh, young man's life. And the prostitute sees him. Uh, It's actually kind of an R-rated portion of Scripture. And you can go there and read it later. Don't read it now because we're having a conversation. But later. And uh, uh, she sees him. She approaches him. And she begins to whisper in his ear. Everything that a man wants to hear. And suddenly he changes his mind. Suddenly he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. This may be the opportunity of a lifetime. This may be what I've been missing out on. I may may start here as a youth and end this as a man. 
how, why would I ever pass uh, this up? And the Bible says that she then leads him off to her house. And, and Solomon describes him, he says, ready for this? He was like an ox going to the slaughter. Which, by the way, is exactly where you and I get that phrase. And, and you understand what happens on the day that an ox is slaughtered. He has no idea. See, he thinks it's just another day on the farm. Uh, and the farmer comes up and he ties the rope on the ox and he starts to lead the ox away and the ox is going, ba-doo, 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 ba-doo. And, and they get to the gate and instead of turning to go to the field, they turn to go around behind the barn. The ox has no idea. He doesn't have any life experience in being slaughtered. Ba-doo, 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 ba-doo. Uh, they, they go around to the back of the barn, and he's going, wow, this is brand new. This is a new life opportunity. This may be the best thing ever. Ba-doo, ba-doo. You get this is why 14-year-olds and 15-year-olds smoke. Because they're naive. Because they believe deep in their heart that this is going to make them cool. Because you ready for this? Because other 14- and 15-year-olds smoke. So this must be the path of life. Here, here's what you need to hear if you're in this room today and you're a teenager uh, and you're smoking. Uh, here's what you need to know. Uh, adults, adults do not drive by and see you on the street <laughs> and go, do you see that? Do you see how cool that 14-year-old is? <laughs> do you remember when we were cool? It just doesn't happen. And the reason you think it's cool, and every adult is warning you that, that it's wrong and it's going to make a mess of your life, is because you don't have enough life experience to know better. You're naive. See, you have never coughed a chunk of your lung out. You've never been in the hospital room, had the doctor come in, look at your chart, and say, here's my best guess. My best guess is three months. You've never sat there anticipating the birth of your unborn child only to be told, hey, there are problems here and your child is malformed and undernourished because this habit that you have has now affected them because you couldn't stop while you were pregnant. See, the truth is you just don't even have enough life experience to understand or to even recognize good advice because, because, you Ready? You're naive. This applies to more than teenagers, guys. You realize young Christians do this all the time. See, we get to passages in the Bible, and, and here's what we go. We go, oh, are you kidding me? Oh, the Bible is being so overprotective. I mean, it's just overreacting. I mean, do you realize how old the Bible is? I don't think it understands me at all. I mean, the Bible is older than my parents. I'm pretty sure the Bible is out of touch. And you and I live moments in our life just absolutely contrary to the Word of God. And you know why we do that? And you know why we think we're okay? Because we're naive. And you don't have enough life experience to understand the wisdom that's being given to you in that moment. And so you blow it off. Because it doesn't apply to you. Yes, it does. 
Yes, it does. You're naive. And guys, I'm just going to tell you that there's hope for the naive. But this is hard. I mean, this is hard. And you and I have to do what every teenager would have to do in this moment, and, and it's simply this. That we would come back and say, look, here's the deal. This, this does feel overprotective to me, and, and it, just, it just feels like, like we're, we're thinking worst-case scenario, and it just, I, I, I'm just going to tell you, I don't understand it, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust that my Heavenly Father knows more about life than I do at this point, and I'm going to obey it before I understand it. And if you and I would do that, we would leave the seat of the naive. There's a second type of person that Solomon describes who just say, look, at no, I don't need to know and blow off advice. It's the seat of the fool. The fool is different. The fool knows right and wrong. They just don't care. See, here's what the fool would say. The fool would say, no, no, I, I get it. I get it. I, I get that that's probably not a very good decision. I get, I, get, I get it's not necessarily the best thing to do. I get it. I get that living with my boyfriend, I get it. I get it's probably not the greatest decision. No, I, I get it. In light of my family history, in light of what happens to me when I get around alcohol, I get that that's not a very good decision. I get it. I get it. I'm just going to do it anyways. Because here's the deal. I've been doing it, and I'm not necessarily feeling any horrible consequences from it, so I, I just figure somehow I'm immune from that, and, and it, it, it's not going to happen. And, and if it does, here's the deal. If it does, I'll, I'll just deal with it when it does. So you're right. You're right. It's probably not a good idea. It's probably against script. It's probably not the wise thing to do, you're, I'm just going to do it anyways. And Solomon says that's the response of a fool. Matter of fact, write your Bibles. Still in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 26. So just a little bit over to the right. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11. This is, this is Solomon uh, describing the actions of a fool. Here's what he says. As a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Have you ever seen that? I'm just, I'm just that's nasty. That's nasty. And you got a dog and his stomach gets upset. And then. (laughs) But you get, you get, you get, don't miss the moment. Solomon says, that's how a fool behaves. So here's what a fool does. A fool goes, oh, no, no, no. I know, I know it's not a good decision. I know I probably shouldn't be eating this. I know I shouldn't be behaving that way. I know I should be, you know, I should be treating my wife different. I, I know that I should be handling my finances in a different way. I get it. I get it. I get it. What I'm doing is probably not necessarily very wise or, you know, a good, but it, I, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyways. And then their stomach gets upset. See, the consequences start falling out in their lives. I mean, it all starts crashing 
down on him, and all of a sudden, and guess what the fool does? They do it again. They go right back to it. See, here's the deal. Some of us have said in our marriages, and, and we've, we, we, we know, we know, we will. Look, I, I know if I keep talking to my wife like that, I know, if, I know if I keep being that distracted, and if I keep spending that much time away from my wife, I get, I get it, I get it's probably not the smartest thing to do. And what's the next word out of every fool's mouth? But. And then I'm going to do it anyways. And, and then their marriage comes crashing down, and now they're in counseling, and it, it's a mess, and it looks like the whole thing. And somehow they patch the thing back together again, and they're trying again. And guess what the fool does? Same thing they did the first time. They start all over again. See, some of us in our finances, and we go, look, I, I know, I know. I know I don't tithe and I don't honor God in my finances and I know I spend recklessly and I know I've got my charge cards just charged all the way up to the top and, and I, I, I know. And then the whole thing comes tumbling down. And next thing you know, we're filing bankruptcy and we're digging our way out and guess what we do? We go back. Same thing. You know what Scripture says to do with a fool? Scripture says that if you've got a fool in your life... <laughs> Just step back. Give him a wide berth. Because the only way that a fool is ever going to learn is if they feel the full weight of the consequences of their reckless decisions. And that the worst thing you can do in a fool's life is rescue them or save them or pay their bills or help them over. Because if you do that, they will immediately go back to what they were doing because they'll expect you to do it again for them. And Scripture says, no, 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 just back away. Because the only hope, you ready? The only hope that a fool ever has to get out of this chair is for them to feel the full weight of their decisions. Can I just speak honestly to you? If, if you're in this room and, and, and you hear a little of yourself in the fool, uh, you hear your voice saying, I know, I know, I know. I know that's probably not the wisest thing. I, I, I don't know, I probably shouldn't. But I'm going to do it anyways. You know what else Scripture says about the fool? The companion of fools suffers harm. See, here's what you've been telling yourself. This is my life, and I'm going to do it my way, and it only affects me. Baloney. The companion of fools suffers harm. And guys, some of us know this. See, some of us grew up in, in, in a home where the way mom treated dad, I, I, I mean, it was just, it was horrible. And, and, and even you as a child, you could look and go, oh my goodness, I can't believe. And she just over and over and suddenly he was driven away. Or maybe he just stayed away and neglected the family and you could just watch as everything eroded. And no matter what anyone said or whatever, they, they just kept doing it over and over and over again. And suddenly the marriage is gone. And, and guess who's living with the consequences of their foolish behavior? Because the companion of fools, the family members of fools, the co-workers of fools come to harm. 
To some of you who've worked in a company, and the, the guy who owned the company, I mean, he was just reckless in what he did with finances. And you, even from a distance, you went, wow, how can he be spending that on that? And, and how can he be, you know, taking that many vacations? I, I, you know, and the company fails. But guess who doesn't have a job now? Because the answer is, the companions of fools suffer harm. And, and I'm, I'm just going to implore you and beg you today and say, if, if you are here and if, if you hear any of the fool in you, that you would just in this moment wake up and go, look, this isn't just me that's going to suffer with this. That as long as I live with this reckless abandon and just say, look, I know, I know, it's not, but, but I'm going to do it anyways, that the people you love most in this world I will suffer for your foolish behavior. And I'm going to beg you to love them enough to get out of this chair. To stop blowing off advice, to stop saying, I know, I know, I know. But I'm going to do it anyways. Solomon describes a third type of person who does not listen to counsel. Uh, he calls this third type of person the scoffer or the mocker, okay? Here's how you know if you are a scoffer or a mocker. If the last three people who came to you and tried to offer advice in your life were all idiots. <laughs> no, I'm just telling you. Because here's, here's the deal. The scoffer and the mocker are so sure that they are so much smarter, so much more capable, so, so far beyond all of their contemporaries, that the very fact that you came to me and tried to offer me advice is an obvious, obvious statement that you don't understand how remarkable and capable I am and how much smarter I am than you, and it shows your own lack of judgment. See, if the last three times that people have come to give you advice, it turned into an argument, and you probably won. You were probably more skilled at manipulating the moment and saying the right word to shut them up, because the reality is most mockers and scoffers really are capable people. And chances are, you won the argument. You put them in their place. And they walked away saying, I will never, ever, ever again try to help them. Chances are you're a mocker or a scoffer. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles one last time here. Still in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 21 Proverbs chapter 21, verse 24. Here's what it says. This is the wisest man in the world's description of a mocker. Here's what he says. The proud and arrogant man, mocker, scoffer, is his name. He behaves with overweening pride. My best guess, Samson sits in this chair. She goes, no, 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 you don't get it. I'm stronger than you, I'm smarter than you, I'm better looking than you, and God's got his hand on me, so shut up. 
Mockers, mockers often can't work for anybody else because every supervisor they've ever had was stupid. You know how you know you're a mocker? If when it's time for Thanksgiving, your family members huddle in the room quietly next door and go, shh, 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 don't bring that up. No, 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 don't say that in front of them. Chances are you're a mocker. Now, here's the deal, guys. If you're sitting in one of these three chairs, then it can only end in one of three ways. Here's the options. You can stay sitting in one of these chairs, and you will live the entirety of the rest of your life turning away people who are trying to give good counsel to you and help you in your life. And the answer is simple. You will live a life so much beneath, so disappointingly far from what the man of God, the woman of God, you could have been. There's a second option. The second option is that you stay in these chairs for a while. And and you lead your life right into the ditch. I mean, you finally get to the point where you go, okay, I have totally messed my marriage up. I have lost the heart of my children. My finances are imploded. And you finally get to the moment where you go, okay, maybe I'm not God. And I need some advice. But here's the problem. When you lead your life that far into the ditch, when your finances get that bad, when your marriage is that broken... The advice you're going to receive and the things you're going to have to do to get out of the ditch are harder advice than the advice that you are already presently ignoring. And it will be monumentally hard to now receive that advice and get out of the chair. There's a third option. You and I this morning... could see ourselves in the chair. You and I could be really, really, really honest with ourselves for a moment and say, man, I am, I am so naive. I have looked at passage after passage. I've heard the preacher talk, and I just said, oh, you're overreacting. You, you, you sound just like a parent. And today you could stop being naive. You, you could say... Lynn, I can't tell you how many times I've had people say, wait, wait, before you do that, and wouldn't you? And I've just said, no, 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 I already know. I already know it's not a good, I, I get living with my, my boyfriend's not a great idea. I get spending my money, I get it. I'm going to do it anyways. And the reality is, I'm a fool. Or some of us today could say, you know what? I have bullied and intimidated everybody in my life. You know why I don't have any advice in my life? Because nobody dares to give me advice anymore. I've proved to everybody I'm smarter than them and don't need them. Today, you and I could get out of the chair. And the very, the very moment of doing that would make us wiser. Here's what I want us to do. Uh, when you came in, 
Uh, here you go. When you came in, you got a card like this on the front side. It says the man who had everything on the back side has got uh, four places uh, to fill in. We're going to do place number one today, okay? And it simply says this, people I will allow to speak in my life. And I'm going to ask you in just a moment to take this card. I want you to put on there the names of three people that you would, from this day forward, say this. Look, here's the deal. When they speak, when that person says to me, whoa, 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 whoa. Have you considered, you realize what Scripture says about that? When those people speak into my life, here's my covenant. I will immediately push the pause button in my life. I will immediately stop and reconsider wise counsel. In my life. And here's the deal. Look, I may not even, after I reconsider, I, I may decide it wasn't necessarily the right counsel. I'm just saying I'm not going to blow them off. That if, if any one of these three people speaks to me, I will immediately stop and rethink my decision. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a few moments. I want you to do it right now, right here. And here's what I'm just going to suggest to you. If you have a hard time coming up with three names, you're in one of the chairs. Here's what I want us to pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, I'm just, I'm just going to ask that right now that, that you, would, you would just bring a moment of clarity for our lives that literally hundreds of people in this room would all of a sudden go, oh my goodness, I'm the naive, I'm, I'm the mocker, I am such a fool. And that we would spend the next few moments getting out of our chair. Give us wisdom as we begin to write down who ought to be on this list for us people who when they speak into our lives we immediately pause, we immediately reconsider our decisions we adjust our lives this I pray in Jesus name, amen hey, here, here, I'm, as you're getting ready to do this I want to nudge you a little bit I'm just going to suggest to you, any of you in this room who name the name of Jesus Christ and consider you, yourselves a follower of him, that the first line ought to be the Bible that you would say, look, if the Bible says something, no matter how much I disagree, no matter how much I struggle with it, I will immediately pause and I will immediately reconsider the decision of my life because I'm probably wrong. You take a few minutes, you come up with the three.